Hear God's word to us this evening from First Samuel 18 and 19. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. And he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. He went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter Merev. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, Who am I? And who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merev, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel the Mahalathite for a wife. Now Saul's David, Michael loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the pain of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servant spoke these words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus, and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines, and when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michael, or Michal, for a wife. 
But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle. As and often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's daughter, Saul's son, excuse me, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay at a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow, so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre, and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through the window. And he fled away and escaped. Michal took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Nialt. And it was told Saul, behold, David is at Nialt in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing his head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Seku. And he asked, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are at Naot and Ramah. And he went there to Naot and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naot and Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all that day, and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
you can perhaps hear some of why the, uh, the opening psalm that we sang fits as David is pursued, though he had done nothing against Saul. Now, there's a, a common theme that runs throughout chapters 18 through 20. We'll only look at the first two chapters tonight. And that is that Saul's family and everyone else follows David. Jonathan loves David, makes a covenant with him. All Israel and Judah love David. Michal loved David. Then Jonathan delights in David. That's actually, you'll notice there's the first three, it's about love. And then at the middle, it's Jonathan delights. And then Michael protects, or Michal protects David. Samuel protects David. And then at the end, Jonathan protects David and makes a covenant with him again. And Jonathan will be the one who is at the beginning, the middle, and the end of this chiastic love feast. Now, the completeness of this particular passage is seen in the fact that Jonathan and Michal will then vanish from the narrative. We will not hear about Jonathan again until his death in chapter 31, with a brief reference to him in chapter 23. Well, Michal will only reappear in 2 Samuel chapter 3. So this is really this little short little narrative on Saul's family, Saul's servants, Saul's own son and daughter, loving David, following David, denying themselves, taking up their cross to follow the true Messiah. Now, in these chapters, we see David portrayed as the general who goes up against the Lord's enemies, Saul's enemies. After Goliath, we hear about David's victories in chapter 18, verse 5, verses 14 to 16, verse 27, verse 30, and again in chapter 19, verse 8. And Saul is not blind to what is going on. And indeed, by the end of chapter 20, Saul will see clearly that David is the Lord's anointed. But Saul is jealous, and he wants to see his own line follow him as king. What matters to you? That they follow you or that they follow Jesus? You see, that's the temptation we all face. We are, we are all like Saul in various ways where we want to see whether it's, whether it's our children, whether it's other people, whether it's in whatever situation we're in. Do we want them to follow us or do we want them to follow Jesus? Now, there is Paul's way of, there is the next Saul, Saul of Tarsus, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that will be, Dave, be Jonathan's approach. Jonathan will follow David at whatever cost to himself. What's interesting is that for Saul's family and indeed all Israel, they see more clearly than Saul. They see that the Lord is with David. And that's enough for them. And since the king is the Lord's anointed one, the Mashiach, we need to see that loving David, protecting David, making a covenant with David is all about loving Jesus, delighting in Jesus. And it might sound strange to say protecting Jesus, but defending and maintaining his kingdom rather than seeking our own kingdoms. So chapter 18 is all about loving David. Verse 1, Jonathan loved him as his own soul. 
Verse 16, all Israel and Judah loved David. Verse 20, now Saul's daughter Michal loved David. Now, loving David is not just warm, fuzzy feelings for David. In every case, it's given practical expression. In verses 1 to 5, Jonathan gives David his armor, his robe, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, we, we have texts from the ancient Near East where when a crown prince renounced his claim to the throne, he had to surrender all of these items. So, it's not clear yet that that's what, what Jonathan's doing, but that's what Jonathan's doing. <laughs> He's the crown prince. And he is surrendering everything, handing it over to David, the same David who just told Saul, I don't know what to do with your armor. I, doesn't, I, I, I don't. And, and Jonathan's like, that's okay. It's yours. This is a man I can follow. This is the man I must follow if I am to be faithful to my God. Jonathan is a man of faith. He sees the Lord's anointed for who he is because he loved him as his own soul. And that's, that's a theme we've been seeing a lot in various parts of scripture, but this, this theme of what does it mean to love someone as your own soul? It's to be that, to have that, it's the imparting not only the gospel of God that Paul, Paul talks about in First Thessalonians, but our very souls. That connection that we have been joined to the life of God and therefore to the lives of, lives of one another. And the Lord gave success to David. And the women come and sing his praise. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. <laughs> this gets Saul steamed. And so twice, Saul tries to pin David to the wall with a spear. You might wonder, you know, after the first time, why is David sort of still hanging around? Well, it, it appears that when this harmful spirit, this evil spirit from God comes upon Saul, everybody seems to realize that Saul isn't really acting like himself. And so there seems to be a certain amount of, okay, he's acting irrationally, and so it's a question of how much do you blame him for what's going on? The te our text will say, no, Saul is responsible and he knows exactly what he's doing. But... It's still, there seems to be around him, people seem to be questioning, okay, how much of this is really Saul versus how much of this is the harmful spirit? And there's a question, and they're giving the, you might say, the judgment of charity in response, seeking to think the best of Saul. But yet notice, you, you, you might think at this point, it would say that, and David feared Saul, because Saul was trying to kill him. But no. Who fears? Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. When you fear God, you do not fear man. When you fear man, you do not fear God. And the armies of Israel and Judah follow David and he goes out and comes in before them. He's the great general, the warrior. And his Michal, Saul's daughter, desires to marry him. Why, why does Saul's family, why do all Israel love David? Because David was successful in battle. 
The women sing, sing of his triumphs, greater than Saul's. David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And because of this, Saul hated him and stood in fearful awe of him. Verse 15. It's worth saying, partly because our modern world doesn't like to think about it, that David was loved by his people because he was a great warrior who was really good at winning battles and defeating his enemies. This is repugnant in the modern world. We, we think of mighty warriors as a think of the past. Although, in fairness, in American history, think about all the great generals we've elected as president, George Washington, Andrew Jackson, William Henry Harrison, Ulysses S. Grant, Dwight Eisenhower. None of those men campaigned on their political record. Actually, none of those men really had a political record to campaign on. They campaigned on their war record. I like Ike is not exactly a slogan designed to persuade. Tippecanoe and Tyler, too, was a slogan used to remind voters of Harrison's great victory. Andrew Jackson kept saying, I'm for reform. Nobody could ever figure out what he wanted to reform, but that's what he was for. So why is it that we reward men who are especially proficient at killing others with political office? We have to say it out loud nowadays because... In the United States, we're so far away from sort of enemies on the ground, you might say. But when you are surrounded by enemies who actually want to kill you and take your land and take your children and take your wife, you tend to reward men who are especially proficient at defending you from your enemies. And if you think about it, what has Jesus done? He is remarkably proficient at destroying the wicked. He is the, he is the king who will destroy his opponents by the word of his mouth. In the book of Revelation, you see the army of the lamb gathered for battle, but the army doesn't fight. The sword comes out from the, from the, the lamb's mouth and destroys all his enemies. Jesus does it all by himself without an army to fight. All of this is prefigured in David and all who refuse to bow the knee to Christ are prefigured in Saul, the one who was jealous of the Lord's anointed warrior. What more can he have but the kingdom? Saul had been made king so that he might go before his people to deliver them from their enemies. But his focus on his calling slipped. He did not pursue the kingdom of God. He pursues his own kingdom. And in the pursuit of his own kingdom, Saul will demonstrate for us once again that folly is set upon its own destruction. When we are like Saul, when we have that tendency to seek first our own kingdom, we must pay attention to Saul and learn from his mistakes. What is it that matters to you? Is it your success? Is it your family? Is it your career, your children? Saul wants to see his son Jonathan sit on the throne of Israel. But Saul, but Saul's children love David and want what is good for the Lord's true anointed one. Now, in chapter 17, we had heard that Saul had promised his daughter in marriage to the man who killed Goliath. And now we hear in the end of chapter 18 that Saul tries to use his daughters to lure David to his death. 
he starts with his elder daughter, Merab. And he, and he uses compelling words. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. But his heart was saying, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Then after proving faithless and giving Merab to another, we hear that Saul's younger daughter, Michal, loved David. And Saul tries to use this again to send David to his death. Oh, just bring me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. That'll, that'll make him odious to the Philistines and probably he'll die in the battle. But instead, David brings 200 foreskins to Saul. And so Saul gives him his daughter Michal. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that his own daughter, Michal, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. It's one of those things that when we seek our own kingdoms, we may very well be the unwitting agent of bringing about God's kingdom. Just think about what Saul has just done. He's made David, his son-in-law, one step closer to the throne. So the very thing that might have been seen as, ah, I will lure David to his death, turns out to be, I will help David become king. Those who seek to undermine the kingdom of God cannot succeed. They may make life miserable, but they cannot succeed. If you want to pursue your own kingdom, don't let your kids anywhere near Jesus. He has a way of drawing them to yourself. By the way, I don't recommend pursuing your own kingdom. I do recommend bringing your kids near Jesus. <laughs> but Saul should have rejoiced that his children loved David. If, if Saul had yielded to the Lord's anointed, just a counterfactual thought, thought process, well, then that battle where Jonathan died would never have happened. Michal perhaps would not have died childless. But because of Saul's opposition to the Lord's anointed, even the children who loved David paid a price for their father's folly. Now, Jonathan, on the other hand, delighted much in David. And so when Jonathan heard of his father's desire to kill David, he warned his friend to hide while he interceded with his father. And he comes to his father and says, Let the king not sin against his servant David, verse 4, because he has not sinned against you. His deed brought good to you. Look at what he did in striking down Goliath. Why would you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listens to Jonathan. As the Lord lives, he swears, he shall not be put to death. There's a certain fickleness to Saul. Unstable as water, he does not stand firm. Jonathan's voice could remind him of what was good and true. But the harmful, evil spirit from the Lord continues to plague him. Now, why does God keep sending this spirit to Saul? Isn't it enough that God has judged him for his sins and has removed the kingdom from him? Why send this harmful spirit? First, Saul is supposed to be the son of God. 
He was supposed to be the one who succeeds where Adam failed, the one who succeeds where Israel failed. But he didn't. So this evil spirit is simply what he deserves. Indeed, it's better than he deserves. Just as Israel was plagued with enemies when they rebelled against God, so also is Saul. But secondly, the reason for this isn't really about Saul at all. It's about David. Why do bad things happen to some people and not others? Why do some people die quietly in their sleep while others have prolonged agony? Why are some people born blind? Is it because they are worse sinners or because their parents sinned? Jesus answers that question. No, it was that the power of God might be revealed. So while Saul does deserve what he gets, it's not really about him. The Lord's anointed must be brought through suffering to glory. The only way for a son of Adam to become the son of God is the way of the cross. And so even as Israel was tested in the wilderness in order to learn to trust in the Lord, so also David must be tested in the wilderness. We saw last time that we are seeing in David's life the three temptations of Deuteronomy 7 through 10, which you know them better as the three temptations of Christ in the wilderness. As, why did Christ go out in the wilderness to spend 40 days to be tested? Well, because Israel had spent 40 years in the wilderness. And because David had been sent out into the wilderness to be tested. And we're going to see these temptations as we go through this. As David is... is He was faced with the first temptation of of militarism, of trusting in his own strength. And David was like, no, no, it's not my strength. It is the Lord who wins my battles. And there's the the question of of moralism. When God says to Israel, do not say in your hearts that, that you are good enough. It's because of my righteousness that God has given me these promises. Don't, don't trust in your own righteousness. It's God who does this. And materialism is the third. Trusting in, do not say in your heart that that the Lord has done all this for, that has given us this wealth because of because of what we have done. And the Lord's anointed must be brought through suffering to glory. The only way for a son of Adam to become the son of God is the way of the cross. Even as Israel was tested in the wilderness in order to learn to trust in the Lord, so also David must be tested in the wilderness. And so the evil spirit who comes from God against Saul drives David out into the wilderness, just like the Holy Spirit will drive Jesus out into the wilderness to be tested by the devil himself. But that won't happen as long as David is getting comfy as the great warrior, the king's son-in-law. And so the evil spirit drives David into the wilderness. David needs to learn the only way to glory is the way of the cross. And of course, for us who have been joined to Christ, this is also true for us. This is what we need to learn as well. So, Saul again seeks to pin David to the wall, but he eludes Saul, and David fled and escaped that night. And first, David flees to his house, to his wife, Michal, and Michal tells him, get out of here, tomorrow you'll be killed. 
So she helps him out the window and he flees. And then she deceives her father in order to give David time to escape. It's worth noting that uh, Saul of Tarsus will escape from Damascus in a similar manner, let down out of a window in a basket. Interesting how God brings back themes from David's story, and when he joins the second Saul to himself, he gives him parts of David's story to follow. And then David flees to Samuel. Now, it's an interesting twist, probably not surprising. Where else would he go but to the prophet who had anointed him? And Samuel protects David as well. Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing his head over them, the Spirit of God comes upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And this happens three times. The word of the Lord is not going to be overturned. And so, finally Saul says, okay, fine, do it myself. And the Spirit of God comes upon Saul. This is the one and only time that Samuel, David, and Saul appear in the same place at the same time. And here Samuel appears as the protector of David, the powerful prophet who subdues Saul by the Spirit of God. Also, this shows us that the Holy Spirit may come upon a person temporarily. Our confession speaks of this as the common operations of the Spirit, by which the Spirit uses the wicked temporarily in his service. The key distinction between the common operations and the saving operations is that common operations are not permanent. There's a temporary change of attitude and action, but the old man reasserts itself because the old man isn't dead. Paul will say that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. For the Christian, the old man is dead. Saul's old man, not dead. If David signifies our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, then we should see ourselves in David, in Christ. As we are made partakers in Christ, we also are called to imitate him. We are called out into the wilderness. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But we are also promised the same protection. As Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. You may have complete confidence that the Lord himself will protect and guard you from all evil, Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Not even death. Because I realize, you and I, as we've seen throughout our passage, you and I are not David. Our Lord Jesus, he's David. When we're faced with Saul, there are times when Saul's spear may pin us to the wall and we die. But that doesn't separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So what if Saul strikes me down? You belong to Jesus and the one 
who loses his life for Jesus' sake will find it. When we fear man, we do not fear God. When we fear God, we do not fear man. Oh, Lord our God, have mercy on us. Too often we lose sight of what you are doing. We lose sight of what you have done in sitting, seating your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at your right hand as King of kings and Lord of lords. Help us, O oh Lord, to have the mind of Jonathan, that we might deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow the Christ. That we might give all that we have for the coming of his kingdom. That we might not fear man, that we might not fear what others can do, but that we can fear you, that we believe you, that we trust you. Shine your light into our darkness. Be with us as we walk through this wilderness, that your light might shine, that your peace might reign, the peace of your kingdom the peace of your beloved Son. Be with us this week in the the various callings that you give us. Help us to love you with a whole heart. In our homes, grant that we might not seek first our own kingdoms, but that we might seek first the kingdom of Jesus, that we might trust you in our relations with with those around us, in, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in each place where you put us. Help us to draw near to you and heed your voice. Be with us, O Lord, and send forth your word that your gospel might accomplish its purpose that even as this day your word has been proclaimed throughout all the nations of the earth, grant that it might not return empty to you but that it might accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it, that those who hear might believe, that those who hear might know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. For we pray this in his name. Amen.